Space. The final countdown. The terror that flaps in the night. The velour fog. Whether tis nobler to suffer the slings and arrows than the fortunes of fate than to have loved, then lost. We few, we brave few, who go softly into the night, who will not perish without a fight, salute you who are about to die. We have nothing to fear but the best of times. It was the night before Christmas. Now we are all sons of anarchy. How many roads must a man walk down before he can call me Ishmael? Friends, Romans, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down your ears. Give me liberty, or give me the moon, Alice. I have a dream that one day we will boldly go back to the future and beyond. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Cool. All right. <laughs> let's uh, let's call that a uh, Shatner down. Make we, it we, sound <laughs> number one. You're right. We've uh, we've hit the checklist. Uh, we've done Shatner <laughs> impression, and we've done overwrought monologue. What do we got left? <laughs> uh, I, I we haven't done a Pope yet. Ooh, that'll be a good one for I guess moral oral, or possibly yeah. Pelswick. I've never been able to figure out if the grandfather was actually the Pope on that one. I was thinking about Pelswick, and then I watched a little bit, and it just like no, this I can't deal with this. <laughs> it's got a much stronger like plot structure than most other shows interestingly yeah you know it's it's weird but i just couldn't deal with how generic everything except for his grandfather or whoever was well, and forgot, even that kind of war on me forgot about the fact that he's got broken lame dead unusable legs no that doesn't really that he has add to crawl to... around on the ground on his arms like that lieutenant would have been dan. a more interesting show so what if it was just uh, lieutenant dan in that show <laughs> instead of pelzik and so, all of his dialogue was just Lieutenant Dan phrases. But so the you rest are of the ben, show was the and, same thing. And I'm Zane, and this is the Carton Cast, <laughs> where we talk about Pelswick Lieutenant in our Star Trek Dan. episode. <laughs> I got you some ice cream. <laughs> Jeez, Ben. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, ice cream. Yes, and on that note, this is the <laughs> Carton Cast, boldly going where so so many people have gone before. Yeah, <laughs> but way less like I don't effectively. know. Effectively, uh, there's a better word for it. Exonerate? No, stop using exonerate. That's not <laughs> callback. Um, um, yeah, no, yes. like episode so, two or something. We are talking about Star Trek: The Animated Series, and commonly referred to as TAS. Yeah, the ass. We <laughs> coming at you with Star Trek, the ass. Dad ass. Tat ass. Um, <laughs> and we should we should be honest and upfront about this. You have not seen very much Star Trek. I have not seen very much Star Trek. Yes. I thought that make it so number one was a toilet joke until I was twenty. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Yeah, that'd I, be a I've great maybe, like, like tidy bowl two, commercial. I've seen maybe <laughs> like, like product tie-in. two episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, and that's not to say that I'm like 
a huge like anti Trekkie like no I've got a manifesto in my glove box about the ways that Star Wars is better than Star Trek or anything yeah. like that like I, I, I haven't had any exposure I know the common tropes of the Star Wars original series mythology, but the first Star or Star Trek, God, Jeez. the first Star Trek that I actually saw was the second J.J. Abrams movie. Yeah. So like, <laughs> and then I went back uh, with my girlfriend and we we watched some of the original series, but there's just a huge disparity between the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah, I I heard that uh, from uh, Simon Pegg in Spaced that. Every odd-numbered Star Trek movie is just pure shit. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Which makes it really funny that for Star Trek Nine, he was cast as Scotty. Well, that's what he gets. Yeah, is just yeah. He was pulling a bait and switch on karma. <laughs> he was trying to take things down from the inside. <laughs> um, um, so I think that might be our advantage because Star Trek. Every because we don't know what can't it, be done. Right. Every incarnation has been beat into the ground and overanalyzed by scruffier neckbeards than ourselves but <laughs> uh, we <laughs> we have the advantage of ignorance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can't even grow a beard that's right i can't grow a mustache and together <laughs> uh, i'm gonna call him leonard nematode guaranteed <laughs> so yeah our utter our utter uh ignorance about everything star trek is going to lead to more people uh flaming us than maybe all of the semi-racist things that went down in Cousin Skeeter. <laughs> no news is good news. I disagree. I, I kind of no, no, want wait, to get... No, no, wait. Yeah. I've got that backwards. I'm like, no no news is not good? What was it? There's no such thing as bad There's no bad such press? thing as bad publicity. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So, guys, I'm if just, you get pissed off by I'm the way slightly we off think that everything Shatner I say. is the same thing as Christopher Walken... Go ahead and go ahead and tell us how much you hate us. I would love to. I would love to read that. <laughs> but I do have all the expertise that a five-minute trip to Wikipedia during a boring meeting can give me. Oh man! Uh, so let me sunnier uh, days me in which I had <laughs> free time to browse Wikipedia during work. So let me uh, give us a rundown of the uh, production. Sure. So, Star Trek was invented by Gene Roddenberry Mm -hmm. in uh, 1966 and ran for three seasons on NBC. And then the animated series was the next installment and was made uh, in 1973 to 74. And fans debate whether or not it actually counts. Yeah, apparently Roddenberry uh, has went on the record of saying that it is not canon, that it's not in the canon Star Trek. But what does he know? I'm pretty sure you said Star Wars again. And, Damn it. And I have it written down. <laughs> you're reading it. <laughs> and uh so and, and I'm not certain why he expressed that it was not canon. It, I think it takes scruffier neck beards than us to suss out such reasons, but even though it's not canon, many of the more modern iterations of Star Trek do borrow from uh from this yes. era. And that's that's one reason why I am of the opinion that it is canon. Um, it's supposed to be the final two years of the Enterprise's five-year tour. Um, <laughs> you're thinking of Gilligan's Island now. Yeah, of course I am. I'm wondering how to mash up that song with this. <laughs> we'll find a way. Um, but yeah, it introduced same. a lot of Star Trek concepts. That's our, out- has... that's our outro music. I know. <laughs> that, <laughs> we have the same brain. I already thought of this. Um, 
But it, yeah, it introduced like the holodeck and a couple of other like things. Like it brought us the holodeck. Well, it brought us the holodeck. It brought us basically the entire Spock origin story. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Do you remember that scene in the first J.J. Abrams where it's uh where bunch of a bunch of uh you know Vulcan children queefs are like pushing Spock around for having a human mother and he freaks out yes. and punches one of them into a pit basically verbatim from uh from an episode that I watched from TAX hmm. interesting yeah it's most uh, it's, illogical it was pretty cool most illogical sir apparently he did like a a CD as Spock a what? Have you heard of this a compact disc yeah like a disket it might have been one or the other, but yeah, he apparently did like a spoken word album. And as I think Spock. it's going to be a long, long time. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, yeah, just calling things illogical and like you could do a techno mashup of that. Yeah, I guess just bring attention to the like worst like '90s comic observation kind of stuff, and like, <laughs> why do the humans do this? <laughs> uh, you, you know what? I oh, like a Jerry Seinfeld of Vulcan, a Vulcan kind. <laughs> what's the deal with the future what's the deal with love <laughs> they call me mr big doing hank hill now um yeah so apparently it, although um, the although the animated series is not considered canon it of course has a ton of influence into modern star trek and uh there are many people who do consider it canon and i think i do as well for the simple reason that there's no reason not to yeah and you know it the, the show was actually brought back as an animated series thanks to fan pressure um yeah in the 90s right in the 70s really yeah it was the last star trek until uh 1979 when they put out the first trek movie mm. and here's the interesting thing this series won an emmy and the original series did not yeah, I mean, I guess it was, like, on the upswell of its popularity and also yeah. reaching a new demographic. By the way, this is by far the earliest vintage show that we've done so far. This was yeah, in not only the 70s, but the early 70s. So until we start getting into shows that Dad can comment on, <laughs> this is uh, this is probably going to be our, our line, our, our, our starting point. I'm a trailblazer. What can I say? Which is why it looks a lot like He-Man at times, which we'll talk <laughs> so, about. That is that is actually an interesting connection. Some of the backgrounds they reused for He-Man. Yeah, it's it's also by filmation. Oh yeah, and uh, and also Paramount. Oh yes, correct. Um, but apparently Roddenberry maintained creative control, so I don't know what he's complaining about. If he didn't think it should be canon, maybe he should like yeah, like he signed he, his name on it. He was in charge of it from start to finish. Why would he bother saying, yeah, this 23rd century space exploration thing with these voice actors voicing these characters counts, and this one doesn't? Where yeah, do you I, get off? I was off? about to say, well, it's not like they have the same voice. Oh, wait a second. Because he got, like, all the of same. the original cast because it was in the same decade. <laughs> well, they got everybody except for Chekhov. Yeah. Um, Walter Koenig. And um, they didn't take him because they were like... Well, we're over budget. Yeah, <clears throat> cold like, war. It was, it was the most expensive, like animated series, I think to date. Mm. But like they got everybody else in, and I guess it was just like, sorry, Chekhov, seniority or like fan <laughs> appeal or something, like something. <laughs> yeah. Um. They actually also tried to replace Uhura and Sulu. Did they? 
Yeah, Leonard Nimoy insisted that they were important for diversity reasons and also because he knew that they needed the money. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy went up a peg in my book just now. Yeah. I didn't really know much about him, but now I'm happy. Now I'm happy with him. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of like, uh, you were saying about how Roddenberry had still had creative control. The original uh, Star Trek was sort of marketed as a space western, but in fact Roddenberry made it more of an action, like an adventure story and a morality tale. Like he used Gulliver's Travels as some of his uh, mm -hmm. influence. Yeah, and uh, he uses he uses Star Trek and you know uh, college students majoring in English who love D and D have stated throughout the ages that uh, he uses it to espouse progressive political views like you know yeah. um diversity in the workplace of course and there's also yeah. a lot of moral sort of centric moral centric difficult question maturity growing up sort of storylines yeah there in the original series the episodes that i saw at you know at worst and it's and it's true here too at worst they were these kind of like schlocky action space dramas mm -hmm. but at but at best they were like philosophy like the best of sci-fi kind of things they yeah. were they were dealing with the human condition and free will and like and, and not and not merely the philosophy that makes us feel good about ourselves like there's stuff about slavery <laughs> there's uh in a free will the nature of man in, in one of the episodes i saw that um basically future spock tells young spot uh he has to decide whether or not to let his pet live or die and the the pet would li be living in agony, so he so Spock as a kid like chooses for his pet to have like a death of quiet dignity, <laughs> like so you know animal euthanasia is on the table. Sure. Uh, in one of the like, TNG episodes, they were doing addiction. Like it's it's incredibly like it's it's got an incredibly broad scope for bringing progressive issues to the table. Yeah, not just it's, progressive, um, but like hard questions. It kind of, it kind of reminded me of Heinlein's work. Um, uh, in what way? You know, how some of his stuff was just like pure, like, oh my god, this is great. Teens will love this. It's got some action. It's got some drama, some romance. Mm. Um, but, you know, the heavier books dealt with, you know, these social upheavals. Like, well, why does everyone do it this way? Like, this way makes more sense. People would be more happy. Why are we oppressing such and such? Um, I got a lot, I got, I had a strong Highland vibe from this show. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't, I couldn't really think of anything that gave me a similar sort of, uh, moral, moral, uh, workout than this show mm -hmm. in, in, in cartoon kind. I think it's maybe the strongest example we've done so far. Like, and we'll get into it later, but I think this is, works much better than like a PSA or moral integr other moral integration that we've seen so far. Well, I think Generator Rex taught us a lot about how to be rad. <laughs> yeah, and how to play electric guitar. So uh, we, with that, I think that's enough to yeah. start us off so, on. So so what's the general, like, what's the premise of Star Trek? Uh, you know, like I said, um, it was marketed as a space western. The idea is very similar to Fievel Goes West, mm -hmm. at least in, in theme, which is that these civilized people are going out and taming the wild you know the wild green yonder or whatever <laughs> wild blue yonder yeah that's right so uh that's the premise i guess it's just but they have that prime directive of... right they're 
exploration. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to interfere, though. I thought they cannot interfere. Um, they cannot interfere, but they, you know, they bring their culture basically everywhere they go. So they ob- obviously do. But it's just like a. It's it's a very tame plot. Like they're not trying to fight anyone or to solve right. any problem. They're just exploring. And I would say very few of the plots, like, have to deal with their original mission. So in any given mission, they could be, you know, delivering corn or, like, <laughs> going to go sign a treaty or something. Like, the the like drama... like Express delivery. <laughs> the drama comes from, you know, these... these complications that arise oh the klingons are are in our airspace or yeah. we're in you know there's the a there's a traitor prism right and that you know i think what i found in terms of the premise the the genre the conventions everything it's pretty much as close to the original series as they could make it really i found it it, it felt the same except a little bit faster and a little bit smoother i, I think that's probably yeah, that 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 uh, just with my like conception of how the original Star Trek was, even though I haven't seen any of it, that that seems mm-hmm. that seems correct. Um, it's all very somberly and professionally toned, which I will talk more t- in in a in the tone section. But for mm-hmm. uh, but for right now, I, that's probably good for the plot. <laughs> Always the professional, <laughs> never the profession. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what Spock says. Um, so I think that's good for the plot, right? Why do not they all get married while they are all there? <laughs> <laughs> it's a time saver. It saves them the cost of a cake. <laughs> so uh, there's this character named James T. Kirk. T. Kirk stands for Tiberius. And he's a captain of. <laughs> Can you not really say it in the tone the... that you're like. You're saying it in the voice of, like, young Jerry was a boy wandering around when suddenly... (laughs) Do we really need to explain who the characters of Star Trek are? So Jerry's this mouse, and he gets chased around the kitchen (laughs) by this cat named Tom, who's just too arrogant for his own good. (laughs) I think the main point of Tom and Jerry is that we're all really chasing ourselves. (laughs) Those birds Um, floating around our heads when we get stunned are really... uh, um id ego and super ego yeah so i agree there's not really much point in rehashing the characters but i think you know spock it's it's all voiced by the same voice actors that we know and love from the original series or at least you Mm -hmm. know and love because i don't know them So, so i think it would be more beneficial to go through and say you know what are some character interactions that we find particularly appealing or what are some you know things that we noticed that you know, you learn a lot right, about Zane, this from just the cultural. Why do you give me one that's not Kirk and Spock? <laughs> I'm just looking at things that are not that we might have learned that aren't just from the cultural lexicon. Yeah, and I didn't learn much. Um, I learned a little bit about Spock because there was a whole episode on him. But mm-hmm. honestly, I really couldn't. There, I, I didn't write down almost anything for the characters. Like, why don't you tell me what you thought? Well, um, like you said, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are kind of the go-to examples for id ego, super ego. Oh, are they? Um, I didn't even. I don't yeah, think that's accurate. Like McCoy I, never shows up. It's it's on the TV tropes page, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did all the fact checking. Well, I just verified knew this. sources TV tropes. Yeah, but Spock is you know this this 
otherworldly intelligence and McCoy is the doctor but he's you know much more emotionally driven and and you can see Kirk sometimes he takes one side sometimes he takes the other side um in addition to the original cast they also had an alien guy and a catwoman thing did Thoughts? they I don't recall this uh also in one episode they had a native american for reasons okay <laughs> Did, was his so, superpower to grow? <laughs> no, he has a superpower to talk to Kukulhan. Uh, is that the villain from the second Barkley game? You know, I really can't tell you. <laughs> it sounds like an Incan god. Is that right? Uh, Mayan, I think. If you say so. Whichever one had the calendar. I went to public school. <laughs> um, um, no, I, you know, I, I like... Um, I realize that I like McCoy a lot more than I think some of the other characters. Yeah, I didn't really notice him that much. Yeah, he he doesn't show up a lot, but he gets some good lines. You know, he makes fun of his patients. Like, you know, you don't deserve it, but you're getting a few days rest. Like, he's yeah. just kind of a jerk. Well, I think I recognize that from the other times I've seen him in the other in the other franchise yeah. or the other parts of the franchise. What Any I personality was... in a show that's this old is is hard to come by, I think. And it's especially hard to come by considering the animation doesn't lend itself toward, like, overt personality cues. Right. And that, I think the biggest thing for me, comparing the original series to the animated series, Kirk is way less attractive. Really? In the animated? Yeah. In the original series, he's just, he's in his prime. He's I really so like the beautiful way that Kirk to watch. This. He's not bad. He's just kind of bland. The uh, what in the original series did Kirk sound as cool and collected as he does in the animated series? Even better. Even really? better. Because oh, I yeah. was very impressed by how like, and I'm you know, uh, comparing him to J.J. Uh, Abrams one because I don't remember mm-hmm. any of the other Kirks. <laughs> right. So y- you know. This Kirk is very cool, very collected. He always gives, like, impulse decisions, but no one questions him, and he, he doesn't say it with any, like, dramatic flair. He's just, this is, he is this needs to be done. He is a fine leader, and I think I remember reading sometime, like, the character was, like, the fastest person to go through star, like, Starfleet leadership training Three years, or whatever. Even though it was, like, required to be five or something. It was 14. What? No. That, okay, yeah. so that's different from the movie then. It is different from the movie. The original captain had 14 years of training, and he was considered a prodigy. Yeah, he, no, he's, <laughs> he's on the ball pretty pretty regularly. He's incredible. And he goes into every mission like he should be in the front lines. Like, they don't have any underlings. Like, they don't have a whole ship filled with 100 people. Well, they don't have the right shirts. Right. Um, and that's actually another thing. Um, just differentiating between characters. Mm-hmm. There's this neat distinction in the way that the characters talk. Explain, because I thought they were all pretty cookie cutter. Well, that's the thing. If you compare the crew versus any new bit characters, the crew, or at least most of them, speak in this stilted, thoughtful, very procedural manner. And any outsider is usually you know, a bit dumber, a little more brutish, a little less filtered. Like, the Enterprise really is the pinnacle of humanity. Hmm. And here's the thing. The red shirts, like Scotty and Uhura, don't follow this rule because red shirts mean ship technicians, which is a more practical and less theoretical calling. They have less formal schooling. So you're saying that the, uh, hmm, 
You're saying that... I'm saying that they all had etiquette classes. <laughs> <laughs> they might be right. Like, there, there's definitely, and, you know, uh, scruff your neck, there's, there's definitely um, something to the fact that the Starfleet being, like, humans reaching out, manifest destiny, that whole thing, that mm-hmm. this is supposed to represent the pinnacle of human nature. And all cultures and races are represented. But remember, America's in first. America first, yeah. Like, <laughs> Let's not get this confused. The, the seat of our balls. James we Kirk. Took, we took Russia out for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we were dashing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you might you might be right. Like, the more emotional characters are, like, relegated to America, but less America. Or something like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, that might be right. Um, so, I, what else do you have to say about characters, though? Like, I don't have much. That was the main thing. You know, you meet these interdimensional creatures or you meet these aliens and they're all they're all pretty human well they have different the the main difference that you find with all these these others is that um they're they're no less intelligent but maybe a little bit less cunning and a totally different set of moral values yeah they have different values and that's kind of like that's where the cultural pluralism thing kind of breaks down because it's like Look, your cult, your culture is different. Your values are different. We're right. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit insensitive, but I think it does a lot more to teach kids about these like moral values than maybe a different, uh, maybe a PSA thing. Like, would you say that this show is geared toward a younger audience than the original? Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe a but little, only, but not a huge amount. Only because not not intrinsically. Like, if it was the same show, but in our decade, probably not. Right. But if it was back then, like, who watched cartoons in the 70s? I want to say nobody. Uh, well, I definitely don't want to say it full adults. No. You know, it, it's, it, it was, just doesn't have the appeal. It was the Saturday morning crew kind of thing. Exactly. Um, it was the, the kids who had the comic books in the 60s or, or what have you. It wasn't the... You know, it, it wasn't people who, well, maybe it was some people who were into Star Trek, but. Yeah. And notably, the there's not a lot, there's not a lot of fighting in this one. Kirk doesn't make out with very many people in this one. There's almost no uh, fighting in this one. Yeah. So, and it's interesting. I felt like taking out the romances and the fighting and some of the long dramatic pauses, not all, but some, <laughs> I feel like it really streamlined it. So let's talk about tone and genre. Because I have right. I have something to say about the streamlining of it. Yeah, you saw this as a space western. I saw it more as a sci-fi space drama. I, I didn't see it as space western. That's the that's the you know quote unquote oh, that's conceit behind it. That was that's what correct. sorry they sold it as a that was a tagline, right? That was how they sold right. it. But what I found was it was you know it, even though it was probably marketed toward kids a little bit just because it was a cartoon, it's very professionally toned compared to like a anything else at the time like a looney tunes or anything yeah the big tone that i got from it was that it was everyone was very professional more mm-hmm. than anything else and it was really refreshing <laughs> they all behave like really mature adults yeah it it's a very reasonable slow calculated approach to taking on these problems and you said like there's no action there's no like romance no they have a job and they're doing it. And they're doing it in these, you know, no, not big emotional outbursts. They're treating everyone with respect, even if it's grudging respect. 
Yeah. You don't the... have a fight on the bridge like you did on the in the in the original. Yeah, Sulu's not chasing anybody with a sword this time. Which, you know, I I, I would have enjoyed that a little bit. From like oh, a C Lab twenty twenty one perspective. Yeah, I got a kind of C Lab vibe from the animation, it's just which the, I guess it's makes just the sense. character models. Yeah. I think. But I, I agree they they react to danger with this almost removed sort of sense. Um, it, it's you know, clinical. like they focus on their job. It's clinical. It's clinical detachment. Yes. And, you know, that's why I thought that it was actually very well suited to maybe teaching kids morals. Because when you're watching a cartoon, you, like uh, the child mind, like you imitate, right? Mm-hmm. And it's no secret that if you want a child to behave mature, you have to treat them like an adult. And that's hmm. what this show does. It treats its audience as being capable of understanding what what is going on in this in this professional environment. And it's so weird that like we we might have professional environments nominally in in other shows like Dilbert Cartoon or Harvey Birdman, but this is the right. only one that treats it like a profession. And it's interesting because I don't think this type of pacing would really work in a modern cartoon. In the same way that, you know, you go back and watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it's good, but, like, it's really slow you know, to I all modern sensibilities. I for most of it. Yeah. I like the middle part with Hal, but... the the See, I like that part the least. Really? Yeah. Well, I read the book beforehand. Dan, let's talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yes, please. What, what, did, what did you like about it, and what did you dislike about it? Well, let's show the entire world how, you know, how idiotic we are in film criticism. <laughs> so what's your beef with kubrick i like the part that had monkeys Damn and i like Zane, the part put that your had best a big, foot forward we're on camera big i like the thing that had a big monolith you're the worst <laughs> and i enjoyed the parts with the pretty flashing colors <laughs> when did you watch it what, are you uh, eight? <laughs> it was like a few years ago yeah uh, i wasn't fully what i couldn't focus on it for very long you had a boner no, I think I was also playing a video game at the time. Let's, this, yeah, you can't do anything else while Kubrick demands your attention. I can't. I need to watch Clockwork Orange still. Oh, man, yeah, you do. Doctor Strangelove is also worth it. I did like Doctor Strangelove. That was like the summer of Kubrick for me. <laughs> Kubrickon 05. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the pacing. Mm. What what you consider professionalism, I like to call paperwork time. <laughs> um, so they add to the realism of the show. There's like these technical details and the chain of command stuff that other shows just kind of hand wave. Like yeah. imagine if imagine if they showed Kim Possible actually calling her ride. That that's absolutely true. There's parts that like there's a conservation of detail here thing here which is not followed. Like imagine if Mega Man saw a robot master trashing a city block and he's like let's let's wait and see what happens there yeah, might be more out. to the situation than we know we don't have all the facts he's going to slap so, us with a with a with a legal battle that i can't risk so kirk you know he like there could be an enemy attacking them and he'll be like hail the ship identify yourself 2 seconds of silence yeah identify yourself like there's a can you hear me now kind of moment it definitely like and this is one of the big uh qualms with the show which is that they repeat a lot of both scenes and music cues mm-hmm. and that might just be filling time it's it's part of the limited animation this was already way over budget yeah yeah yeah, yeah true um it's just funny like when they're taking damage kirk will just 
calmly press a button and say, Mr. Scott, why are we losing speed? <laughs> like it happens every day. Though yeah. I, I guess it kind of does happen every day because every episode they're getting attacked. Yeah. It, well, I mean, we're just seeing the highlight. We're just seeing the star log. But it's also <laughs> so because weird. of, it's also a facet of the animation. Like they can't like give facial expressions, which betray emotion. Mm-hmm. Which, like, in he- in the way that He-Man, they all look like battle-hardened warriors because they're not emoting. I think that's just a facet of the limitation of the animation. Yeah. So did you did you feel like this, you know, the professionalism and, and that sort of tone, do you feel like it lent the show a bit of, you know, gravity that it couldn't escape? It's still a sci-fi. Like, it's not treating everything super seriously, but it's like a realistic sci-fi. See, I get the sense from you that, like, you felt that it was pretty like serious and somber toned like okay problem arises solve the problem resolution there's no time for like joking around and and hanging out and like character development to the same extent no there isn't because when do you do that at your job you don't you do that on your own time exactly they did they have a christmas party uh probably they they had so here's the thing the show the animated series each episode's like 25 minutes long Mm. The original series is like forty-five minutes. Oh, geez. and these are these are the same plot lines, but they just don't have the. They do have the time if they used it properly. Uh, they I don't feel like have such the a time. For not like comparing the two now. I really should oh, have went it's... back and like looked at some of the originals. Dude, it's fine. This was my way of getting back into watching them. <laughs> okay, yeah, I will say I kind of enjoyed this. I, I I think I enjoyed this. Oh no, I I enjoyed it. it. I just didn't give it a, as probably as much attention as it could have deserved. Yeah, well, like we said, we're not contrasting it with other Star Trek stuff, which I'm pretty sure he's called Star Wars again. And Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just believing you now. I don't know. I'll go back and check. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that no matter what, but I think yes, you actually did. I'm just gonna bleep every word after the word star, and we'll never know. <laughs> uh, yep. I feel like they do keep part of the space western mentality because they have all the intrigue of an explorer meeting new cultures and solving problems. But with the animation, they have the creative license to do anything that's like physically possible. Yeah, and this is one of those things where even though it's a limitation, it was uh, it was um, a huge achievement at the time to be able to animate something as as popular as Star Trek. And that's a fascinating like vestige of the time period that there are things that you can do in animation that you can't do in real life but also there are things you can do with live action that you couldn't do with animation at the time yeah that's absolutely true and i think that because you know how we like get farther into the future and we get cgi and all these sophisticated animation it kind of loops back on itself (laughs) in a really funny way it kind of does but also like the the uh changes uh, the innovations are not as starkly contrasting the former stuff like going from real life into animation is a bigger graduation it's a bigger step than you can ever get in the future so -hmm. this was really really profound this was a really profound change to make something like that from real life into animation and it definitely came with its difficulties but it also like you said (laughs) it it allows for different storylines it allows for a broader scope in the sci-fi setting i agree um, um, yeah, and, and I'm sure we will. I'm sure we'll discuss some of those difficulties in a bit. Yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> like, so what it lacks in technique, it does make up for in scope. Partly because it's you know animation now, but just because Star Trek was such a classic sci-fi plotline and moral dilemma kind of show. Mm-hmm. 
So like, and to give an example of that, one plot has the Enterprise and a Klingon ship. They get transported into a time frozen like pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. And there's this council of like a hundred races. They judge them by the violence of their crew. So you get like this ethical analogy to like a true leader doesn't isn't isn't like a, a savage guy. He, he he again with the professional thing. But everyone is like they're judged by the by the by the aspects of their crew. And huh. it's in this time frozen awesome sci-fi environment. And you know, the animation might not bear it out, but those two things are really, really cool, and they bear <laughs> exploration throughout the show. Yeah. There um, there was another episode where they meet the space god Kukulon. <laughs> sure. Who, was Kirk he actually kept, called a space god? I think so. Kirk kept mispronouncing his name. <laughs> but <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I have a hard time imagining him doing that. And then not immediately apologizing. Yeah, the name was Kukulkan, Kukulkan, um, but he kept pronouncing it Kuklakan. Did, did he get corrected? <laughs> nope. Oh no! It's like sometimes what a faux pas. I, Ooh, I don't know if you noticed that it. up at the quarterly. <laughs> I don't know if if it came up some, when he says sabotage, he pronounces it uh, sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, but so the space god, um, it's revealed that he came down to Earth thousands of years ago. And like it shows all these things from different cultures. And it's like, no, these were all the space gods culture. Each culture just like took different things from it. Oh. And so nobody got it right. Oh, that's really cool. And so he's like. None of you, like, your culture didn't figure this out. You're still in your infancy. I need to take care of you and, like, trap you and not let you leave. And they're like, no, we're not children anymore. Like, we might seem like ungrateful children to you, but we are fully autonomous beings. That is really crazy. Yeah, like, and, and they think have these the, great Think about philosophy the cosmological things. analogy there. Like, yeah. replace space god with real god and have them not actually <laughs> talk and... Well, it was this There's... flapping rainbow serpent, so uh, you know. It reminds me of a uh, of I, one of those <laughs> with a, one of the with apologies movies. with apologies to any of our ancient Mayan viewers <laughs> <laughs> or space gods. That's right, um, <laughs> or space Mayans. And so that reminds me of uh, that one Futurama movie where, like, you remember that cloud like beast thing that like was trying to date the whole Earth. <laughs> Oh yeah, sex, uh, sex tentacle man. What, yeah, what, what was his name? Yevo. Yevo. Yeah, something like that from Generator Rex. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was revealed when they finally went and visited Yevo that like his surface is made up of these like clouds, and there's these angels running around, which are actually just parasites that pick. They're they're just like uh, symbiotes which pick parasites off of Yevo's body. <laughs> yeah. So this is really emblematic of the best science fiction. Or fantasy. Yeah, they it knew sh- what they were doing with this. It it shows you... It doesn't show you fantastic things. It no. shows you your own life in a different lens. Yeah, with surprisingly scientific commentary most of the time. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed some of the scientific... Like, the like it's it's stated as being technobabble a lot. Of, you get, like, phasers and stuff like that. 
but they reference some fairly complex scientific concepts like orbital mechanics and galactic coordinates and like the finer points of evolution like it's nothing i think they had a scientist on uh on payroll i was wondering if they had like a like an expert on payroll to avoid like maligning the franchise's fans i think i remember seeing a science mistake but i don't remember what it was i saw a couple but it like it's still like it was still very impressive yeah also they didn't necessarily know things in the 70s like well they they didn't yeah maybe i don't know like it it feels like they knew more things than the actual series did that's true um and it does owe to the that professional tone that i was talking about yeah and and as a final point to to tone you know we 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 say that it's professional it's philosophical it shows you the world there's also these bits of levity, like um, you know when they crash when they crash in kind of a Scooby Doo esque bomp sound. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, they, like I mean, ca- yeah, like they still still have they do still have like Scooby Doo sound effects, like He Man. Yeah, they beat the Klingons by sending Tribbles aboard their ship, and the captain's like, "There's nothing wrong with my ship." And then there's a Tribble right behind him, and it's like, "Womp womp." Yeah, they do have a little bit of comedic timing, even though most of it, like, it's, it is very professionally toned. This happens once in a blue moon. Yeah. But uh, I, I remember one part where uh, Spock is visiting his younger self, and mm-hmm. the younger Spock, after old Spock does a Vulcan neck pinch, which, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not even a real thing in that universe, right? I don't believe so. <laughs> so. I think it was a Vulcan back rub. I think you're thinking of, like, one of those Kirk Green Woman scenes now. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, much better than that picasso guy right anyway uh but there was this one part where young spock said to him do you think i'll be able to do the neck pinch as well as you when i'm older and the old yeah. version of spock just looks at him for a second and just says i dare say you will <laughs> just, like, it's like not he, he's not saying it as a joke he's saying it like kind of well, he's saying it as like kind of a joke to himself yeah. And that really caught me off guard because they don't say, they don't say jokes in this. Yeah. But it again like even though it was a joke it's like an it's like a professional joke. <laughs> yeah. Like this uh, is and... very like Yamaguchi from Cromartie High School would be thrilled with this kind of humor. Yeah. It's so there's, finely crafted humor. There are a number of aspects to this show which stem from the fact that it's based on a completely revolutionary idea. Oh, yeah, and something that is proven to already be popular. And there's other parts of this show which are more based on the limitations of of the time. Explain. I I keep on saying it like that, like I'm I'm holding a mock trial or something. (laughs) You're in chains in a crucible. It's okay. Explain yourself. Now I bother to get evidence for my claims. Um, Well, Kobe Marashi Yashimaru is a cheat. (laughs) Just, Sorry, go just ahead. like jumping into like animation a bit. Let's do it. L- well, let's just jump in wholesale. Right. Well, I think the fact that it's limited animation, like the fact that it's so slowly paced. Yes, it's part of the way it was originally paced in the original series, and it's animated so they can spend more time showing, not telling. Um, but you know, it's limited animation, just like He Man, and so the slow pace works well because you can't really animate things moving fast. Yeah, and but I would, and that's why like, a lot of the action scenes aren't there. Yeah, it, it's it's even worse than He Man though. Like the animation here is animation, but that doesn't make it good. Like, well, yeah, it, it's limited. 
like the limitation yeah <laughs> and the limitations really do come out in like like there's this one example which is whenever they try to like express emotion like the people who were dealing with animation at the time I, they haven't really mastered the subtlety of animated facial expressions so like <laughs> most of the time they're just uh, the most facial expression we get out of them is blinking we get blinking and almost all the major emotions are expressed through gigantic eyebrows yeah there's slight eyebrow permutations to give the <laughs> illusion of an emotion of an expression it's which... also confusing because no one moves their head while they talk they will talk rotate their head and then talk again i kind of like that and i <laughs> don't know why <laughs> and when they talk like their mouths move like they're chewing gum like it doesn't yeah. look like mouths moving like so there's some issues with this there animation the, the biggest issue i found is that when anybody does express themselves overly with raising an eyebrow sometimes the camera will like It'll, like, shoot to a shot of the zoomed-in face of the guy raising the eyebrow and then putting it down. Like, they were really proud of that eyebrow. <laughs> it's, like, just showing the eyebrow. As, as well they should. Like, I understand what you mean, Kirk. And then it zooms into the eyebrow and he'll raise it. Like, oh, wink, wink, audience. He's planning something. <laughs> These are and we're not level telling eyebrows. You they about should be it. proud. Um, yeah. Yeah, they do. They also they have a lot of smash cuts. Um, there's no like fading from one image to another. It's just boom, boom, boom. Especially yeah, when they, they show they like, <laughs> especially when they show the starships. It's like smash cut from one section of space with a starship to a different section of space with perhaps a different starship, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's really jarring. Like sometimes it'll be not even the same starship, and mm. the, it'll be like the same characters that were previously not on the starship, and now you're in the starship. And I'm like, did I just go into the past? Oh, no, they just, like, hand-waved moving back into the starship. I think they just f hadn't figured out how camera panning worked by then. Maybe. Like, in an animated show? Yeah, there, I, I saw this thing on, uh, I saw this presentation in my in my program. Uh, every so often we do, um, we do basically, we just, like, have talks to let people get used to public speaking. And one of the people was talking about comics and, like, the dead space in between panels, the gutter. Mm, I love it. And when you have a smash cut, you lose the gutter. Yes. Which, by the way, he was talking about that Scott McCloud book almost entirely. That's because it's a perfect book for explaining how comics work. Of course it is. I yeah. mean, that's the subtitle. Um. <laughs> yeah, and he says it over and over. Right. <laughs> right. And so, like, I think they didn't quite understand that when you are going from... When you when you got characters like this, and when you have so little expressed through movement, you really do need a gutter to kind of uh, to bring the the audience along from scene to scene. Yes, because it was very easy to tune out of this. Mm. Also, I should say they did have a few scene transitions where it was a fade out, but it was it was in a way it was in a quick enough and like block like clumsy enough way that it might as well have just been a smash cut like uh and by the way are we using that term right smash cut that's when it just jumps it's just like no transition at all that's the that's the jarring transition okay i wasn't sure yeah but they will do like a fade out and fade in of the new scene and but, star wipe 
And yeah, why have hamburger when you can have steak? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, they, they will have the they will have a fade out and then a fade in of the new scene, but it'll be like just over each other without <laughs> any subtlety. And it yeah. might as well be a smash cut. Yeah, like you're they, not doing anything there that couldn't be expressed in a smash cut. We're not they hadn't, even a gutter from that. They hadn't really gotten there yet in terms of like the technology or just people's familiarity with doing a good animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also how you get some of the special effects. Like when they fire missiles, it just it's MS Paint. It's really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you know, and I forgive it of that. I yeah, don't it, need special we, we, effects in this show because it's about the professional environment and the maturity and not really about the, like, I said it was an adventure, but it's not really about the adventure. It's about the it's, exploring. Yeah, it's a set piece diorama. Um, Is that what you meant? Nope. Great. So, <laughs> it's yeah, uh, would cut that one out. <laughs> I like it's it. It's not terribly, you know, <laughs> it's not terribly flattering set of dialogue there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not putting my best foot forward here. Uh, um, it's cold. The, <laughs> so that actually, the exploration aspect is where the animation really succeeds, which is it, it does give these you something that couldn't be done. These environments and the aliens that they're allowed to do, like in the live action, they would put a hat on a dog and call it an alien. <laughs> <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> I love that sentence. <laughs> it, it just, it's, it's like not... a Dr. Phil kind of thing. Don't you put a, do- a hat on a dog and call it an alien and expect me to buy it. I can't hear Dr. Phil without hearing Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> now, Wait, we, buy the dog? We're not going into this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. You're totally right, though. There was one episode where there was this, like, energy magnetic energy parasite which infected the ship and it was only portrayed with like this green gas that was like around all the computer consoles Mm -hmm. but that is so much better at depicting (laughs) what's going on and it doesn't break the you know seriousness of the scene like a guy in a like a putty patrol mask but it's green would be right like that would be horrendous that'd be awful you remember that episode of doug where he goes into the movie theater, and everyone's scared by the monster. Oh, it's so goofy, though, like, once you actually look at it, because you can see the thing's zipper. Ben, I'm going to be honest. When we did the Doug episode, I looked so hard for that one and couldn't find it. It happened, man. I know, I know. It totally I wa- happened. I wanted to see it, and I couldn't. You could. I think you didn't look very hard. Yeah, it's possible. Like, that wouldn't have been that hard to find. Zane, you're just you're just eating it today. <laughs> I'm just having. Listen, Ben. Star Wars is a very complex and difficult thing to talk about. Damn, Zane. That Zane. one was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I know it was. I'm still proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah. But just to just to wrap that up, you're totally right. The limited animation is still useful as animation. Like, just the very fact yes. that it's animation rather than a bad costume is so is so important in really selling uh, this high sci-fi setting. And I don't know why uh, fans don't find it canonical or, or even good, because I, I don't know if you've seen any of the original series. It really is quite similar. Is it? It's most logical. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm not certain. And, you know, it's it's a question that we can't answer. So, you know, uh, uh, people at your keyboard express netiquette. We are taking we are taking stock of our own shortcomings. We, we can only say Ben's taking stock of my shortcomings at length. Yeah, that's not the first time. It's uh, <laughs> so like yeah, we we can't really comment to the disparity between this and the original series or even the new series because we, mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't talked about them. We're not Trekkies, but we can talk about how we actually did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I think that yeah, and I would say that the animation, even though it was you know vintage, it, it suited was it. Still, it was still useful. Mm-hmm. It could have been done better, but I'm not going to fault the 70s era of animation for that. Right. So, yeah. One thing I did have in mind, though, was that Mm -hmm. I I toyed with the idea of just cutting the animation entirely and having this as, like, a War of the Worlds-esque radio broadcast. Ooh. Like, uh, can you imagine that for a second? Just have it, like, a fireside chat, like, Roosevelt, like, like, radio program? I don't hate that. Like, think about how that's expressed. You have all the major elements. You have the uh, orchestra swelling for dramatic moments. You have the dialogue, which you don't need to see their faces during. Right. <laughs> Certainly. And if yeah. you can put, and if you can substitute your imagination for these, you know, fantasy sort of creatures, like it, that's as good as taking it. it. It's still you're still not looking at a guy in a costume, so it's still fine. Like you could actually do yeah. this. As a I could, radio broadcast. I could absolutely see that. Mm-hmm. Which, which, let's get into the music and sound by it. Yeah, so this is classically orchestrated, which lends oh, yeah. another point to the idea that it could be radio broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you get a lot of strings for tension in a scene, but since it's not an action show, the tension is, is like, from the drama? Sure, sure. It, it The tension is... From and not even the character drama, but just the drama of the sophisticated moral dilemmas, or even just like if you're waiting to see if the transporter worked. Yeah, there there is a little bit of tension, um, just by the circumstances of the of the sci-fi setting. Yeah, one that is so fraught with peril as like you know, in, in sort of a Western way, this is the the brutal nature of the West. It's fraught with peril, and the orchestra yeah. really does help build to that tension. Yeah, I think I think that the uh music really adds to you know the the tension and the emotion of a scene. You know, you get those get that rumbling timpani to build the tension in a space battle and there's these brassy just blasts to punctuate any sort of action movement. I th- I think it's really well put together. Yeah, I think that anything but an orchestra would do the somber space exploration a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um and to kind of sew up that just thought that I had, I was thinking about 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. where there was, like, at the end when he was, like, rocketing through space and there was pretty lights for 15 minutes or so. Again, It's, like, very really high-whistling, like, earthbound theme music and, yeah. like, trippy psychedelic sound effects. I don't—it didn't feel as resonant as it did for, an a, like, an orchestra. Yeah. And again, it's something that they borrowed from the original that worked just as well. Oh yeah, less oh, yeah. less you know like um, less you know brassy horns for like a, a fight for the a fight on the deck or anything like that. But even so, I will say though that as good as the orchestra is, it's awfully repetitive. That is true. Like you'll you'll hear the same sound clip 
not even not just multiple times but looped in succession <laughs> to such a degree that like it's really obvious that they just took a 10 second sound clip and looped it until they were done with the scene that and... was the style at the time what no it mean? wasn't they were just getting like i mean yes it was but only because they didn't realize that it could be better i think like i think they were just still finding their feet yeah and i don't know if this is true but it seemed like to an extent they were coasting maybe that's why he's not as proud of it Maybe like like you don't think that it do, did anything new that Star Trek the original series didn't already. I don't know that it expanded the brand in a way that animation doesn't intrinsically do to any sort yeah. of adaptation. I don't I don't know if it added anything. I mean it added a couple of key plot things. It added, you know, these sort of more fantastical worlds and less humanoid people. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I don't know if it added anything to the brand. Would you say that it doesn't do anything to Star Trek (laughs) that um, can be expressed other than the new area that that can be explored by animating the old series? I don't know what that sentence means. What I will say... (laughs) (laughs) I I will say crazy with prepositions there. (laughs) What I will say is that the animated series extended the original series. The new movies... um, you know, augmented the original series. It, they take it, it into the fifth dimension. It took it in a different direction, and, you know, because this, it's modern technology, a sure. better-looking direction. But it, it, you know, the animated series kept going in the same direction, but further. Yeah, that that is probably the case, and it, it might not be, like, a distance that they thought they could cover from the original one, mm-hmm. but, like, it's certainly within, like, the scope of the original series, I would say. You'd, oh, absolutely. You, like you said, it was like 45 minutes for the original Star Trek plot lines, but you still had all the philosophical grandeur. Yeah. Um, you still get that here, as well as really great dialogue. I, I, Like I said, the dialogue between the crew and between you know non-crew people I thought was good, because um, we got that sort of ruffian, actual space cowboy kind of uh, dialogue. Yeah. Once, once, whenever they weren't in paperwork mode, I thought the dialogue did shine through quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like, they don't act like characters in a cartoon. They act like goddamn professionals. <laughs> yeah, adults. Mm-hmm. They spent fourteen years in in space hero school, learning sure. how to seduce things. This is their whole life. Yeah. Like, they can't go back home. I guess they can warp there. That's not the point. Yeah. This is what they want to be doing. They're the best of the best of the best, sir. I think the big thing that I'm taking away from this show is that it expresses professionalism in a way that I didn't know that animation could while still being intriguing to watch. If if you liked this show, especially if you liked it for that reasons, I would recommend going back to watch some of the original series, but I would also offer the caveat, try and find like a list of the best of episodes because the bad ones are really hard to deal with. What are the bad and it's ones? Not, like, what's emblematic of a bad and one? It's, and it's not always obvious after, within 10 minutes what's a good one, what's a bad one. So, like, a good one might be, you know, uh, he goes to this prison planet to, you know, drop off whatever. And it turns out that they're hypnotizing the prisoners. They're not really rehabilitating them. They're just controlling them. Again, like a clockwork orange kind of thing. Dude, yeah, like, listen to these plot lines. <laughs> and But then a bad one is like, oh, they found a planet that's just like earth from the 1960s um and they find oh no all the adults are dead and there's only kids left 
And then oh you see God. a grown Captain Kirk fighting a horde of children and yeah. trying to convince them and trying to convince them to be more responsible. That's so like, funny, though. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny sounding. Watch 45 minutes of it and get back to me. <laughs> um, yeah, and imagine a kid trying to watch that. Like, you can't really relate to that, can you? No. I mean, and maybe I think... you can because you're a kid and you want sci-fi wherever it turns up. Yeah. Like, this is what nerds liked back in the day. Was there any... Beyond Star Trek and maybe comic books, what kind of outlet did a kid nerd maybe have? I don't know. Um, but th- this animated show definitely, you know, I would say not as high highs, not as low lows, but it's definitely a good entrance for s- people of our caliber who like cartoons anyway. Yep, in their 20s. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I hate us. <laughs> God, we're the worst. <laughs> what am I going to get to do? What am I going to do with my life? <laughs> uh, we can all learn from Spock. So, um, was that Spock's meltdown you just <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's, it's just Spock's voice is my inner mantra. Are you picturing Spock on the couch next to Aku just going to town on the ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, man, listen, it, whatever, however illogical, anything that, uh, shit, I forgot the quote. <laughs> Damn it, we're bad at this. Uh, <laughs> once you've eliminated the impossible, anything, however improbable, must be the truth. Whatever Sherlock remains, Holmes. however improbable, must be the truth. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> the guy from Dune. Only I shall remain. I, I, I've I just wanted to, like, commit a mantra to memory for so long. And I, Oh, the, the B'nai Jesuit? That's the, yeah, that one, yeah. Where they're yeah. like, the, I'll let the fear pass over me and only I shall remain. I can never remember the full thing, though. I can't it either. Like, it's, I've tried to memorize it. It's a little bit it. samey near the beginning. Near the middle, I thought. No, no, no. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the absolute obliteration that brings on the... the See, that's the part I can't... It just kind of slips away after a while. Yeah. It's hard hard to grasp. That's why they're the greatest warriors. Because they can memorize four lines. (laughs) Right. Well, I didn't try very hard. (laughs) (laughs) I went to public school. Ben, I used to be in plays. I used to have to memorize things. Yeah. Maybe maybe one of our unshelled segments would be just you doing modern major general. (laughs) <laughs> so um it's been a while yeah do, do you have anything else for this show i think i'm actually pretty much done with it uh i'm tapped i do we have know. any other examples of a real life thing going to an animated thing i mean i guess men in black did it oh like a live action show yeah yeah men in black did a couple of other movies like uh ghostbusters you know we've already been talking about it for like an hour so i think we can pretty much wrap up yeah i think an hour can adequately you know Put all of that continuity and all of the expanded universe into one tiny, tight little box. At least as far as people whom are not familiar with Star Trek uh, uh, can 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 talk about. And if that's the case, like, um, I I don't know how to help you. <laughs> Wait, I, I don't even know who you're talking to now. <laughs> if somebody who has like no conception of Star Trek at this point. Oh no, I meant us, Zane. Oh, we have no conception of Star Trek, certainly. Yeah, what do you even go? Go take a nap, man. <laughs> you wouldn't. Uh. <laughs> uh, um, so we have a co- comment from Anders, uh, my friend from uh, from undergrad from college, mm-hmm. um, who is a fan of the Star Trek series and has written on the Facebook um, the following: 
it's not great enough to seek out on its own, not bad enough to hate watch. I would recommend somebody getting into Star Trek to watch it after the final series, Enterprise, for many of the same reasons. It is not as bad as many make it out to be, but it required a lot of knowledge of the canon to be truly enjoyable. I speak as someone who has seen every episode of all five series at least once, and all 12 movies, and I had never really had a passion to watch about 20 cartoon episodes, which does not take a lot for me. <laughs> not to beat a dead horse with the point, that is more a side piece of the fandom, but I really like Star Trek. I, I still have a strong positive association for the series. A quick Google search shows me that Star Trek TAS is, act, is available to me completely on three different streaming services I pay for, despite being easy to watch fully, and I have still only seen a handful of episodes. Yeah. So, well, it sounds like this isn't the best by, you know, hardcore fans, but uh, I, I, wouldn't even I, say I hard, still like hard, it for what it was. I wouldn't even say hardcore fans, but he brings a, a, a point that I think we've been skirting around, which is that fans of the series do not consider this canon. And mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to hear what about the other Star Trek series was not really captured or expressed adequately in this. Yeah, cause because I think the that's, parts I liked that's about the major it, I issue. I think are the parts that I would like about Star Trek in general. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to each his own. And, uh, you know, it, yeah, I, 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 I think that I do, uh, in, uh, as, as Anders states, I think I would like Star Trek. And it's, it's a valid enough inter, like, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid enough introduction to the franchise. And I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, uh, so watch thanks, watch a few of those episodes and watch a few of those episodes and tell me what the what the best ones are or how much you like watching those kids get beaten up. Um, yeah, if you uh, would, yeah, I'll, I'll do something if, like that. Thanks, Anders. If, thanks for the comment. If, yes, thank you. If you, the listener, would like to continue this conversation about Star Trek and the merits of animation thereof, first of all, you're uh, picking the wrong battle. Or yep. At least you're picking it with the wrong per- the wrong people. <laughs> we, we don't even know we're fighting. We nope. think we're talking about Star Wars. The still. Romulan Zane. Um, the Romulans you, and the Death Star. You can contact us on Facebook uh, or leave a comment or a like or review on iTunes or our own website, cartoncast.com. Yep. yep. Send, a, send a space telegram to us either on the Facebook page or the website. And uh, tell your friends about the show. Um, I think that this one will probably be listened to by more people than normal just because it has it says Star Trek in it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I'd be, I like, just for those who may be listening for the first time, we really like getting feedback, whether or not it's in time for episodes. So if you have anything to say about the animated series or our conceptions of how Star Trek and Star Wars might be the same thing, uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and give us a comment. And Ben, what series are we going to confuse next time? So next time we are watching another series which is in the hearts of the previous generation, and I'm sure we're just going to shit all over it. <laughs> I think uh, you mean the next generation. Uh, actually, uh, man, I don't even remember the uh, actual Star Trek theme now. Bum, 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 I thought you were going to go into Star Wars. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so next time uh, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna do something else that people love, and I hope we enjoy it. We're gonna watch gargoyles, mm-hmm. and then Zane. After that, 
So after that, this requires a little bit of a preface. Zane, Zane told me about this an hour and a half earlier to get me ready for what I would have to stomach at this exact moment. So it all starts several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The show is not the Powerpuff Girls, but... I saw a comic online that was a fan comic of the Powerpuff Girls and other cartoons where they're all in the same universe. Okay. It's actually not bad, but it updates so infrequently that I forgot about it. Um, One of those, and like, so, oh, I think I know where this is going. Go on. And so, um, you know, I, w- I was in class and I saw somebody, like, had, like, a cartoon, like, on their phone case. And I'm like, I've seen that before. And she's like, yeah, it's from, you know, this Powerpuff webcomic. And I'm like... I remember that. <laughs> it's been years. She's like, yeah, it's really good. You should check it out. I'm like, well, maybe I will. And so I did. <laughs> well, fine. And it turns out the same guy who does that also does another web series that is a bit darker um, I, webcomic. I'm listening. And so we are going to be, well, the webcomic is called Grim Tales, and it's also really good. We're going to watch The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Ah, one of the, one of your favorites growing up. It was, you know, it was refreshing and scary. You know, like, it was, there were parts that I fe- felt uncomfortable with, but it wasn't, like, whole hog invader Zim scary. So, and, like, the webcomic, Grim Tales, is really good. It mm. talks about, you know, kind of the political structure of the underworld and all the different rulers. Yeah. And it also updates very infrequently, but I just got to the part where, like, Aku shows up. Oh, man. And um and then they take a Cthulhu train ride. <laughs> what is it? Zane, is this like an urban dictionary thing that I'm gonna have to <laughs> Google later and then like scour my search history? What is a dude, Cthulhu dude. train ride? It is a train ride on a Cthulhu train. Zane, that doesn't I know, help. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain this, Ben. Are you aboard the Cthulhu train? I, I, I dare say I am. So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching. You know, skeletons with Jamaican accents. Oh, yeah. What fucking <laughs> yeah. happened? <laughs> I completely forgot about it. I'm like, in retrospect, that was rather odd. Yeah, that's crazy. So, uh, um, And also, I don't know if you remember the intro. We're probably going to talk about it. Just, I love so ooh, much about the intro. I don't think we talked about this intro. It's it's Kirk talking and slightly different music from the original series. Like, Yeah, I, I guess know. it's the same. It is a cool intro, though. It's not bad. Though the fact that he begins it with a star date also kind of like is sort of like it's as though he's writing up a memo or like a debriefing <laughs> it's his of his mission. Yeah, like sure. like just professionals, man. Professionals. Oh, maybe, all over. maybe a bunch of wacky stuff actually happens, and he just cuts it out to make the report seem professional. Yeah, he, he cut it out into everything that happened in Futurama. It was like his his wacky heyday, his halcyon days, and he was in a fraternity. <laughs> yeah, like that's his memoir that's published after he dies. <laughs> it's all like right. a tabloid. This is what the real. This is what Kirk doesn't want you to see. Yeah. <laughs> Fans were shocked to see Kirk's behavior on this alien planet of supermodels. Kirk and Uhura? What will Spock think? (laughs) He's got like a side clip of Spock just staring. Kirk abducted Elvis? What? (laughs) I'd watch that. Yeah. Star Trek tabloids. Let's watch the Captain Kirk tabloid hour. Star Trek tabloids is a very good idea. (laughs) I'm sure it's like, how is that not a cracked article? Trek horoscopes? (laughs) Uh, Vulcan, the common Vulcan myths in bed. 
<laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we're good. So uh, until next time. Yeah. Until next time, live long and prosper. <laughs> until next time, use the force. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic boy, the boy, this tiny ship. Was a mighty sailor man, skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough, the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the middle would be lost. The middle would be lost. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle. Skipper two, a millionaire and his wife, a movie star, a professor and